He spent a ridiculous amount of time with a small group of disciples and he poured his life into them and they weren't the best. You know, they weren't the most brilliant. They, they said some stupid things. They did stupid things. They, they ran away from him at the crucial moment. They denied him and yet he never gave up on them. He invested in them, you know, he, he, he corrected them, he challenged them, he affirmed them, he loved them, he did things with them, he sent them out to do stuff and then they reported back. Hey friends, it's Leash and Jason here. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Here we are, another episode. It's good to have you, Leash. And today we have another British guest. I feel like this is becoming a theme on our podcast, but for good reason. We've loved the guests we've had. And our guest today is Mike Pilavachi. He's the co-lead pastor of Soul Survivor Church in the UK. And he's someone I look up to a lot as an example in ministry. And there are these sort of moves of God in the last decades around the world that feel like I always call them like a spiritual wonder of the world, something you look at and go, man, how did that happen? That was such a move of God. And Mike, we'll talk about this in the interview, but Mike was part of leading Soul Survivor Festivals, which saw tens of thousands of young people every summer uh, launch worship music and a worship movement around the world. And Mike is an example for me in a few things. One is how to lead in the power of the Holy Spirit, to lead ministry moments in not a weird way, which is a huge value. And I remember when I was 16, I saw him model that for the first time. And it really impacted my life. But he's also someone who has modeled what it's like to invest in young leaders, raise them up and send them out, which is something we need a lot of in our time. So we talk about all those things and more in our conversation today. Wow, amazing. I'm personally looking forward to your interview today. So let's jump right into your conversation with Mike Pilavachi. Well, hey, Mike, thank you so much for making time to be with us today. Great to be with you, Jason. Great to see you. You're such a gift, man. And I love every time I've heard you speak and lead and share. And so I feel like really honored to be with you today. I heard you speak for the first time when I was 16 years old and it was life-changing for me. And here we are like 15 years later and uh, it just feels really, really special to be with you. So thanks for making time, man. Yeah, my privilege and uh, the one thing I want to point out is in the intervening years, you've aged by 15 years, but I have stayed exactly the same. That's what's sure so amazing. It's so amazing. It is one of your gifts. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's the looks, it's the humor, the the wit. <laughs> it's unchanging. Tell us a little bit about you and your world in Watford right now. Yep, yeah, um, I'm one of the pastors of uh, a church called Soul Survivor Watford. We started it eleven of us twenty eight years ago, and I'm still there. And obviously, this has been a crazy year yeah. in all sorts of ways. But but I, I think the team have done great. Mm. Um, and it is a team. Also, about 28 years ago, we started a festival, uh, which we also called Soul Survivor, because we weren't very good at thinking up new names. <laughs> and uh, it was for young people, um, teenagers, really. And we did that for 27 summers and saw... Mm many thousands come to know Jesus, which was the best bit, really, um, of it. So we, we love doing that. And the Lord told us to start it, and the Lord told us to stop it. 
And just saying it like that, it makes it sound like, you know, God spoke in a big, bold, Charlton Heston-type voice, and it was all very, very clear. And, of course, it never is like that. Well, if it is for others, it isn't for me. And it was through agonies of, is Hmm. the Lord saying, do you think through this the Lord's saying that maybe we're supposed to stop? Do you know, I wonder if he is. Hmm. Uh, And then then we came to a place um, of... Do you know what? We're at peace about this. The Lord said to lay it down. And I mean, what I love is we said years and years earlier, um, we said, we hope the Lord tells us one day to stop Mm. and that we will be obedient. Uh, And what we've always said is the Lord never said, I'll build my soul survivor. He only ever said, I'll build my church. Mm. And we existed for a season to serve the church And then it's like a relay race. We've handed on the baton to some great friends, great people who are starting events that will do do things a lot better than us. Um, Mm. But I hope we were faithful for our season in that. I love it. But I'm still involved with the church and love the church and love work. You know, I get to work with my best friends and you can't Mm. say better than that, really. I want to paint, help paint a picture for our listeners when you say festival and want them to kind of use their imagination. I got to visit a number of years ago and see it in person. And these aren't small festivals. Over the summers, you get anywhere between like 25,000 and 35,000 young people out. And you're meeting in tents. They're camping on fields. And then there's these kind of like big top, everyone under one big tent services. Tell us a little bit more about what it looks and feels like at these festivals. Uh, well, we we... We've always said from the beginning, we, we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. So we have a lot of fun, but we want to take Jesus seriously. And also we wanted to equip young Christians, encourage them and equip them in their faith. So we would do lots and lots of teaching that hopefully would be helpful in different areas of life. But also for it to be a place where they would feel able to bring their friends who aren't Christians mm. and that their friends wouldn't feel... Um, uh, you know, they'd feel at home. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be religious. And so, and so we would major on worship, um, intimacy and worship, ministry in the power of the Spirit. We would preach and teach. But there'd be a lot of fun. There'd be lots of cafes of different styles, lots of venues, music, sports, you know, all that stuff. Hmm. Um, but we always tried to build a sense of community, uh, a sense of family, and somehow it seemed to work. And, you know, I, I still get messages all the time from folk who said, I became a Christian in 2003, and this is what I'm doing now. Can I just tell you one story Please. that I love? Please. Um, it was from our, uh, I think it was the last year or the second to last year. We saw a whole bunch of young people come forward to become Christians one night. And at the end, I was sitting by the stage chatting with different people. And there was this one older guy. He wasn't a teenager, was waiting. And when he came up, he said, "Um, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I have been waiting years to bring my son here. Hmm. And I brought him here for the first time um, this week. And tonight... I watched my boy, my 13-year-old boy, go forward to give his life to Jesus. And then he said, and the thing, the reason it means so much to me is that in 1997, 
I came for the first time to this event and I was 13 years old and I went forward to give my life to Jesus and I've just watched my boy do the same thing and he lost it and I lost it. Yeah. <laughs> and you think, you know what, one story like that, I can die happy. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we treasure many of those stories. Mm-hmm. One of the things, there's so many things I want to chat about Soul Survivor because not because of the size of it, but there's, it's a unique ministry that people like being in the room and seeing it. There's things that, that changed my whole approach to ministry. One thing I just wanted to mention though, is like, I follow you from a distance on social. And so for many years, like every summer, hundreds of young people coming to know Jesus, but even just chatting you with right, right now, it's still like um, tender and it's still like special. Yeah. And I just wonder, Mike, like how do you keep them from just becoming numbers? Like even this, like two years ago, the last summer, you're still saying this many people responded tonight. And it's like, well, if you've been following you for years, it's like, well, that's every year, of course. But it's like, it's almost like I can't believe God did it again. And that sense of wonder and love for young people. I just love to hear how you've, you've protected that part of your heart. Oh gosh, I don't know that. I'm not sure that I particularly done anything to protect it. I think when I was a teenager, my life was very hard and I wasn't a Christian. And then two months before my 16th birthday, I discovered the good news of Jesus. Hmm. It made completely sense, complete sense. And I gave my life to him and everything changed. Wow. Everything changed. Before that, I was broken. I was hurting. I was still broken afterwards, but I knew I had hope and I knew there was healing. And there was. Um, and ever since, every single person, when they give their life to Jesus, I, I always think of it's, it's a sacred thing. It's a hmm. wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. And, and I always think of what it meant for me, hmm. you know, and what that did for me. And I think about that for each one. And, and honestly, you know, Jason, there's nothing better. There is nothing better that in my whole life, you know, just watching and every time it moves us. And, and in the big festivals, it's, it's not just seeing them come forward, but seeing their friends, their brothers and sisters, their youth leaders, sometimes their parents weeping or rejoicing or just so moved. And you see afterwards and you think, I've had the privilege of having the best seat in the house, the best view of this amazing, amazing moment. And the honest truth is it never, ever, ever gets old. Hmm. Um, I don't know why it doesn't. It just doesn't. And I love it. maybe the only thing I can think of is I just know what it, what it meant for me. Hmm. Hmm. One of the things that stood out to me a ton um, watching Soul Survivor from a distance is I would go on your website from Canada and even when I was a teenager and I was looking for who are the speakers and artists because at conferences all over North America, the, the way they often grow is by having a great speaker and a great artist and promote it. And, there's a, and I don't, I'm not trying to throw shade on that, but there was something about the way you guys approached it that it was never about promoting a speaker lineup or a band lineup. And 
I just wanted to hear you speak a little bit. That must have been an intentional decision for you guys to build it in a different way. Yeah, it was intentional. Um, in that we wanted from the beginning, um, we really, really wanted um, folk to know that they were coming to a family and to be part of a family and that they were the important people rather than we were getting, you know, celebrities. And, and like you say, I don't have a problem with that, you know, but for us, we, we realised, I realised early on in the UK, I'm not sure it's exactly the same in Canada, only you guys can know, but in the UK, the thing that many teenagers are searching for is belonging. Hmm. And it's to know that they belong, that they're loved, that they're important, that they matter. So everything we did, I always say, I would always say to the team on the first day before we would have a thousand people on team. And I would always say, you know what? This is about the kids. This isn't about us. This is in everything we do. Let us love them. Let us respect them. Let us honor them. And we tried to do that all the way through from beginning mm. to end and um, and to make a big deal of you know and also we were always wanting to raise people up mm. so for example you know our first worship leader was matt redmond when no mm. one had heard of matt redmond he was this kid in my youth group and and then it was tim hughes when no one else had heard of tim hughes you know he was this kid that i knew from when he was 11 and, and and then it was Ben Cantillon. It was just awful worship leader, <laughs> really awful, awful. I'm saying that because I know you're his brother-in-law. And you know what? When Ben came over from Vancouver, you know, no one had heard of Ben, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it was always about raising people up. And it's very difficult to raise people up if you have the superstars all around them because there's no room for them. And, hmm. and we wanted to say, hey, it's okay for it not to be perfect. I mean, my colleague who now um, leads with me, Andy Croft, um, he was my intern when he was 18. And I asked him, he'd never preached before. He'd ha- preached half a sermon with me. Um, and I asked him to speak at the main meeting at the Soul Survivor. He was 18. And I he said, are you serious? And I said, yes. And he said, can I pray about it? I said, of course. He came back and he said, can I say no? And I said, of course you can. Andy, can I ask why? And he said, well, I'm scared that I struggle with pride. And I'm scared that if I get up and I speak to thousands of people, um, it might go to my head and maybe I should be a steward, an usher or work in a cafe or something like that. And his words were, I'm afraid that standing on a stage in front of thousands of people might be more than my arrogant 18-year-old frame could stand. Mm. And I said to him, that's exactly why I'm asking you to speak. That's exactly why I'm asking you, and I want you to do it. And God will sort out the arrogance. Mm. And you know, the first time he spoke, it, it wasn't it wasn't the best he's ever been. He's now developed into an amazing communicator of mm. the gospel. But but what happened was, and I watched it, the kids identified with him. He's one of us. Mm. He's just like us. And 
it doesn't have to always be polished. You know, we, it's better to do things well than to do things badly. Hmm. It really is. But the thing that we really need to do well is being family. And we, we want to be excellent at being family and being community. And in a family, when you raise up kids, you know, you, 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 you know, like if it takes time and, you know, if you're seven year old, you get them to load the dishwasher and they do a bad job. You don't then sit them down and say, now look, let's review how you did. Um, <laughs> you didn't do that very well. We're going to have to let you go. And we're bringing in a seven year old from across the road who can do it better. No, if you're their dad, you, you invest in them, you do it with them, however long it takes. And we've got to raise up men and women hmm. who, who grow. And, and if you only ever get the, the big names, there's no space for others to grow. Hmm. Um, that's our philosophy. And I'm not saying, and we have had some great speakers, absolutely. But also we wanted the kids to know that they were coming to a family rather yeah. than because so-and-so was coming. Hmm. I don't know. Sorry, that was a very long answer. No, I love it. I um, I don't know what this is like in the UK, but we have a bit of a crisis in Canada around um, uh, the next generation of leaders. And what I mean by that is we are seeing, not only are we seeing church attendance decline in some areas, not across the board, but we're also seeing the reality of a generation of pastors and elders, lay leaders and vocational pastors retiring on as boomers enter into retirement, which will look different and doesn't mean they're out of the game. But there's also a, a gap being uh, created for not just Gen X leaders, but millennials and, and Gen Z. And there's not actually enough in the pipeline. One denomination on, e on the East Coast talked about having for every seven that are retiring next year, there's only one in the pipeline to take the seat. So there's a big gap between the leaders we have ready to take churches and to lead and to lead ministries and those who are retiring. And I just wonder if you have any thoughts or reflections on what it looks like for us to take seriously the responsibility of investing in and giving opportunity to and raising up the next generation of leaders. Oh, I could, I could go on about this for, for years. Um, I think it's, it's what Jesus did and we're followers of Jesus. And, you know, he, I mean, it's as basic as this. He spent a, ridiculous amount of time with a small group of disciples and he poured his life into them and they weren't the best hmm. you know they weren't the most brilliant they they said some stupid things they did stupid things they they ran away from him at the crucial moment they denied him and, and yet he never gave up on them hmm. he invested in them you know he 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 corrected them he challenged them he affirmed them he loved them he did things with them. He sent them out to do stuff, and then they reported back. And and that, if Jesus did that, we're meant to do that. And and young men and women, you have to see what their potential is, and we have to ask Jesus to give us His eyes, not for what they are, but for what they could be. And my my slight issue sometimes in the Church of Jesus is that sometimes we're wanting to always buy the finished product. 
Well, if everyone always wants to buy the finished product, you're going to run out of finished products. Hmm. And, you know, someone's got to raise them up. Um, someone's got to grow them. And it's the most, honestly, for me, it's the joy of my life. Hmm. You know, when, when, I, when, I, when I prepare to go to get promoted to heaven, I know that I will have the joy of seeing men and women serving Jesus all over the place. And I had the privilege of being involved in their lives. And it is hard work. Hmm. Oh, it's so much easier to hire the finished product. My goodness. But it's so worth the investment. It's like being a parent. It's the agony and the ecstasy. You know, it's the, you know, oh, my kid did that at school. You're kidding. You know, <laughs> oh, dear, let's, let's talk about this. You've let me down. But I see your potential and I love you. Mm. And because I love you, I'll make sacrifices for you. And because I love you, I will root for you and not give up on you and cheer you on. And then over a season, you see the fruit. You mm. see the fruit. And, and it's the most rewarding thing. And in the church today, we've got to believe in the next generation now. And we've got to, we've got to let them have visions and dreams. Mm. We've got to let them... You know, some of them come, I mean, one of, I, I'll say, I mean, I, I, I was one of, one of my interns, he's 17, and he just did a video on YouTube giving his testimony. And I was on FaceTime with him because of the COVID thing. Uh, he's had to go back to Scotland. He's from Scotland and I'm here. And he said to me, I've just done it. Would you see it? And I watched it and I wanted to weep. And it wasn't the most polished, but it was from the heart. It was sincere and it really spoke. And, you know, I'm so proud of him. Hmm. Um, and that's where, where it begins. And, and I could have said, why would you do a video on YouTube? Why would I want to say that? Why shouldn't you? You're the hmm. best person to do it. I could go on and on, but that's that's the heart of it, really. And it and and I want to say, Jason, it it costs. Yeah. And not everyone comes through, and sometimes your heart gets broken, but your heart gets broken sometimes with your own kids, um, you know. And, but you don't stop loving them, and yeah, and there, there's a cost to it, but it's worth it. Um, I've been thinking a lot about. Um, what it feels like we talk about things. I think we romanticize them. We romanticize leadership development. We romanticize discipleship, even church planting. We romanticize it. And it's kind of like, what does it feel like to be a church that sends out people to plant churches? It feels like loss. It feels like, you know, what does it feel like to, to raise up young leaders? It feels like really being pretty let down a lot. And I just think that idea of the cost, I think there's a counting of the cost that only makes sense if we're thinking 150 years out yeah. and all the short-term gain. And that's just what I'm reflecting on right now is this idea of like, how yeah. do I, and for me, I'm trying to, I, I'm sensing the temptation in my heart to win this year. And I just wonder if I'm putting pressure on the other leaders around me in a way that doesn't help us all win as the kingdom 50 years down the road. 
yeah and honestly that's absolutely right jason you've got it and it's it's thinking of the kingdom of god not the kingdom of mike Hmm. not the kingdom of soul survivor or whatever your church is called it's it's about the kingdom of god and and also you know for us the lord said to me early on i want you to give your best away and i i said that to my church over the years and we've seen our best have gone on to plant churches to do wonderful things and i had to stop saying that a few years ago when some in my church who had been here almost from the beginning said can you stop saying we're giving our best away because we're still here and does that mean we're not very good right and it, I, no i didn't mean that but i think the principle of generosity is massive god blesses generosity and i'm not talking about prosperity gospel i'm not talking about give to my ministry and god will bless you but in every way giving people away giving resources away giving encouragement away generosity god so loved the world that he gave his only son he loved so loved the world that he gave and that has to be the principle for us and we get blessed and the truth is you're absolutely right you know when when Matt Red as i said was our first worship pastor and when he left it was it was grieving but you know Tim Hughes then was our second worship pastor and if Matt hadn't had left hmm. Tim wouldn't have grown into that role and then it was right for Tim to leave and i mean he got demoted he went to some little church in central little london startup um, um, a little startup yeah um, and uh and it was like and if tim hadn't left ben wouldn't have risen up ben cantalon mm. and so it goes then beth croft um that then now tom smith and we we got some great great folk and it's making space and god god rewards generosity i mean that it's a biblical principle mm-hmm. and so and it's having a kingdom mindset but does cost as grieving because when you love people but it's the same as that bittersweet moment when your kids get to the age where they say we're leaving home now i'm going to set up my own home and but if you do it right you get to be grandparents hmm. and they still visit and hmm. you still talk and all of that stuff now it's beautiful um, one thing I've I've always appreciated is that while you've been doing youth ministry, the festivals, you've been leading in a local church. And I do want to talk about your church, but I, I don't want to leave the youth space just yet um, because I feel like we live in a moment where youth ministry has to become a senior pastor's problem. Like it's not just the youth pastor's problem. As long as it's just the youth pastor's problem, we're not going to have enough resource, expertise, care to actually deal with the fact that the next generation needs to grab hold of the faith. And I just want, from one senior pastor to another, I want to ask you about your passion for youth ministry and what it means to really invest in the next generation. Oh, well, well, you've said it really. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um if we employ someone or we we get someone to be a volunteer youth pastor in order to look after the kids to babysit them 
we've missed it completely. And you know that you know there's that saying: it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a whole church to raise a generation of young people, and they have to be a priority. And and that doesn't mean just chucking money at them. Um, what what we've noticed is lots of our teenagers, they actually love having relationship with a few people who have grey hairs, hmm. you know, the grandparent types. And it's it's investing in every way. It's giving them space. It's 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 seeing their potential and not making it a department that's over there that someone else runs. So our youth pastors in, in our church, Ben and Sam, they were my interns years ago. Then they went to university, got, got theology degrees, and now they're back. And so I've got a great friendship with them. And I want that because, because I want it to be easy that I'm involved as well and that we're all involved and that we all make it a priority. Mm. I think you're absolutely right. And it means getting them to do stuff a little bit before they're ready. Mm. And that's wonderful. Mm. I love it. Being at Soul Survivor Festival, it was watching the ministry model. There was a sense of taking your time on stage and treating students like there was real goofiness, which was fun. I think youth fishing has to be fun, but there's also like a leveling with them and talking to them like peers. And even when there was ministry in the Holy Spirit, slowing down enough to tell them what was happening. And there's this real sense of like, I don't need to hype you up. I'm just going to, I'm going to walk you through this. I'm going to chat you through this. I just wonder if there's any values there that, you know, none, I know none of that was accidental and, you know, just that value of speaking to students with such dignity, but also creating an environment that's fun, but not hyped up. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And it, it is a value. It's, it's a couple of values. Um, you know, the, the, our value of every member ministry, we're all the same. You know, I, I, I'm an Anglican minister, uh, priest, uh, but I, I don't know. I feel like I should have been born a Quaker. You know, um, uh, I've got that in me. And, you know, the, some of the Quaker stuff is <laughs> everyone's the same. So we wait until the Holy Spirit moves us to speak. That was the traditional Quaker thing. Um, we don't hype and we don't manipulate. Um, let God be God. Uh, we don't have to make. And if he does more one time, that's obvious. Wonderful. If he does less, that's up to him. I'm not going to try and make it happen. And then also honesty, because when, when, when you're standing in front of a whole load of young people, you can, if you want, you can learn the techniques of performing yeah. and looking good. And it's actually consciously laying that down and always at the festivals, but it, it, in small meetings as well, it's, I want to equip them. So they get to pray for each other. You know, we did, the ministry team was every single young person. And what we had was an enabling team that would go around in case something got out of hand or someone was struggling or they didn't know what to do. But the idea was to encourage them because we wanted them to go home and do that for the rest of their lives. And, and so 
everything we did, we tried to explain because we wanted to equip. And that's part of, you know, then, then they go away and think, I can do this. I can do this. Hmm. Like, why don't we do that in our small group, at youth group? Why don't we do that? We could do this when there's six of us. We can, we can encourage each other and you have to model it. So it's those things, really. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Mike, one of the things that I, I think you're in, one of the most gifted speakers and communicators, you're funny and theologically insightful and make it accessible, but you've also managed to um, like show your humanity and this idea of like being um, uh, like a, a vessel that's obviously we're all imperfect, but actually letting that actually be part of our ministries, acknowledging our imperfections. And I just would love just to hear you share a bit about that tension we feel as pastors to hold it all together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, the truth is uh, for me, I've had no choice. I, 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 I come from a very broken background. Life was hard and I've struggled over the years um, and with pain, with, with all sorts of stuff. And, um, and it's actually got, I've seen in the last few years, a, a significant measure of healing, hmm. but I'm still very aware of my vulnerabilities and, and my potential brokenness. And, I, and the thing that helps is when you have people around you who know the worst about you and are still there and still love you. When you have that, it changes everything. And so, for example, in our church, we've tried to create a culture where we say regularly, we want to be a church where it's okay not to be okay. And that doesn't mean that we want to wallow in our non-okayness because we believe in healing and we believe in, in people growing and, and all of that stuff. It's, it's not about that, um, but, but it, it, it is about being honest and it is about, you know, saying, you know what, we, we all struggle hmm. and it's okay uh, to, to be honest about it and we're broken people helping each other because we're family. And it's funny, that I, I'll just tell you one little story Please. from last year. Um, um, we have some, a number of recovery groups in our church for those who are recovering from alcohol abuse, drug abuse, and gambling addictions, various addictions. And one Sunday morning at one of the services, uh, one of the leaders of one of the recovery groups um, said to me, I just want you to know that um, I think her name's Alice. Alice in our recovery group, today is exactly a year since Alice... Um, took alcohol and abused alcohol. She's been free of alcohol abuse for a year. Um, and when it came to the notices, I was naughty. I said, hey, in this church, we celebrate people's achievements. And I said, Alice, would you just stand up? And she was in the third row and she stood up. She was a bit shocked. And I said, um, this is a year today that Alice has been free of alcohol abuse and when I said that there was about 700 in that meeting everyone started clapping and cheering and would not stop 
they would not stop. And I was watching Alice's face as she was, they're cheering me. They're cheering me. They're for me. And this is the amazing thing. The following Wednesday, I had an email from another lady in our church. And she said, you're not going to believe this. But on Sunday morning, I brought to church for the very first time my stepsister. And she'd never been to church before. And when you did that for Alice, um, she turned to me. And the thing is, um, she she was a recovering alcoholic as well. And she turned to me and she said, is that what you do in your church for people like me? Mm. You do that for people like me. And she started weeping. And it's like, we want to be a church. And I, when I heard, I wanted to say, that's exactly who we do it for. Because we're all broken. And I think sometimes as leaders, we can end up having the pressure of trying to be the perfect person, always smiling, always victorious, with the perfect family. And the honest truth is, there isn't such a thing. There really isn't, you know? And and actually, people get touched by our humanity, and they respect us more, not less. And it's for us to create a culture of vulnerability, where Jesus is Lord, where Jesus is the healer, where Jesus is the one who can answer prayers, where Jesus is the one who can set us free, but we're honest that we're all on a journey. And when that happens, I tell you, I think non-Christians, they, mm. they will find us like you wouldn't believe because they're, they're longing for reality. That's it, really. I love it. Mike, you've been in ministry for like a lot of years, for decades. How are you, um, and I know that there's some like common threads through our whole ministry journeys, but there's also seasons where there becomes new themes, um, opportunities that come with different seasons of life. As, you, as you're uh, transitioning out two summers ago of doing festivals, and um, obviously this year has been completely different, not traveling the same way. What, what's, what are you most excited about in your ministry journey in this chapter of your life? Oh my, I think, I think it's, it's, it's really what I've been saying, if I'm honest, Jason, it's, it's, I just want to serve wherever I can, um, uh, others and encourage churches, encourage leaders. Um, I think the Lord said to me, it's going to be more, less and less about me being on the platform um, and more and more about me encouraging those who are wanting to serve Jesus. And it's what I've always tried to do, but I think it's going to be more. And I think I, I, I think the Lord's been saying to us as a church, um, as we come out of this whole COVID <laughs> nightmare, you know, it, just making disciples. And we need to focus, as well as being family, um, at encouraging folk, in their personal walk with Jesus and in their relationship with him and to know who he is. And therefore, when, they, when we really know who he is, then we, we know who we are mm. in him much more clearly. And, and that way, you know, and, and even just some of the stuff that um, 
you know, I'm, I'm labelled a charismatic evangelical, and I'm not sure that's completely um, accurate label. But what we're not very good at, if that is a label, is contemplation, is being still, and I think that is that is something that is so so important. Just be still and know that I am God. Really has its place. Stand mm. still and see the salvation of the Lord. And and it's about helping folk to grow in the depth of their walk with God. You know, two of the m- most helpful books I've read in all my years. One was Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, which is just an utter classic. And the other one I discovered more recently uh, is called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership by a lady mm-hmm. called Ruth Haley Barton who apparently lives in Chicago. I've never met her. I don't own shares in her book or anything like that. But I just thought, this is amazing. This is thoroughly biblical, great teaching from Scripture, really pastoral for leaders, and really, and you know, as I read it, it was like, she's describing me. Hmm. That's exactly what, oh, this is so helpful. And I would love, in my small way, to do that more and more for others. Hmm. Mike, you're such a gift. You're such a gift. And I've been so impacted personally, and I just need to express my gratitude. Um, So much of the way I minister has been formed by your example. And there's never been like a mentorship conversation where you said, hey, Jay, what you do is after you preach, you need to do this or this, but it's just from a distance. And I remember asking you one time, where you got that model from and you just pointed to somebody else that modeled it for you. And so thank you for modeling a version of ministry. Um, I remember it being 16 years old and at a conference and literally seeing the celebrities and saying, this doesn't feel right. And then I saw the, the way you led ministry time and it felt like God got all the credit. And I know that you don't want this credit. You probably don't enjoy this feeling right now of me talking about you. But it set me free. It said, oh, I can see a future in ministry because there's a version of this where I don't have to try to control the room or hype the room. And it doesn't have yeah. to be about me. And, and it set me free. And, and that was maybe just for me, you know, just my own issues that I was going through. But I just thank you so much for modeling an example of ministry like you have. Well, thank you, Jason. I just, I'm going to say something very briefly to make you cringe. You are, my friend, real encouragement to me. And I know it sounds crazy because I've had not much to do with you overtly, but I'm very proud of you and Mm. just the way you're going for it. And I mean that. Mm. I really mean that. Thanks, brother. That's what it's about, isn't it? Could you pray for our listeners? There's Lots of people listen. Lots of them are pastors and people who are serving and volunteering in their local churches. Uh, Half of our listeners are in Canada. The other half are sprinkled around the world. Uh, But most of them are people who are serving in local churches. And I just wonder if you could just, just... Pray for us around some of the themes we talked about, whatever's on your heart, and then we'll wrap it up there. Yeah. Just to say very quickly, yeah. as I pray, if you're a pastor, the chances are there are times when it feels very lonely. The chances are there will be discouragement because we're working with people and that's always up and down. But perseverance is the missing gift in the church the gift of perseverance, the gift of plodding, and and also really take the risk, if you don't have them around you, to find folk and invest in them who will be able to walk the walk with you. And it makes all the difference. It takes time to do that. 
but but go for it and i'll just pray yeah please and father i i pray for every single person who's listening right now and lord i pray that they would know your love for them your unconditional love your your generous love your overwhelming love and that they would be filled with the knowledge of your love that is beyond knowledge and lord i pray that you would strengthen their hearts strengthen them in their spirits and lord i pray that you would give great wisdom and that they would look to you lord when we look around us for affirmation it's very bitty when we look inside ourselves it's usually not very good but when we look up to you that's when we hear the voice of our father and that's when we find comfort and that's when we find peace and lord i pray that you renew vision and renew hope to those who maybe have been through a grueling time and lord i pray that we would find it in our relationship with you in our walk with you and in times of being still and in that stillness knowing knowing that you are god and that you are ours and that we are yours in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you're loving the type of content you're hearing on this thread, I want you to know we have more to offer you. The best way to stay in the loop with our resources and content is to sign up for our email list at ccln.ca slash connect and to give us a follow on Instagram at Church Leaders Network. Wait no longer. There is no time like the present. Okay, next week we have another great guest. Mark Buchanan will be with us. Mark is an associate professor of pastoral theology at Ambrose University and Seminary right here in Calgary, Alberta. He's the author behind some incredible books, The Rest of God, Your Church is Too Safe, and his most recent book, David Rise. We cannot wait to share this interview with you next week. But before you take off, please give us a like, review, or hit subscribe if you haven't already, and consider sharing this episode or a previous one with a friend if you think they'd appreciate it. Okay, that's it for me. We'll see you next week for Jason's Conversation with Mark.